I don't see any residue on your faces, any of the face paint or hair dye. Maybe you washed it out. But last night was a big night for uh, Halloween parties. Um, I didn't do anything too crazy except watch the Lord of the Rings and have a Lord of the Rings party with some friends. That was cool. Um, and my, uh, my sister dressed as uh, Cruella, Cruella de Vil and her boyfriend dressed as uh, a Dalmatian. My other brother uh, cut his hair apparently into a mullet and he dressed as Joe Dirt, if anybody knows who, know who that is. Um, so my family did it, but I dressed up, but I didn't. Um, today I thought about dressing as Brian, but you know, I didn't, didn't do that. I know, that would have been awesome. Um, so to get to our topic today, we've been, Brian's been doing an awesome job uh, teaching on wisdom. And so I wanted to tackle that topic some more. And there's a whole book of Ecclesiastes written by somebody who is on the, was on the same track that we are all on, uh, satisfying our eyes, our stomachs, and our pride. Uh, we're all, in, at some degree, trying to satisfy those things in this life. And he's somebody who wrote a whole book about that, and he had unlimited resources. He had all the money of the empire, um, and he spent it with whatever passion or anything that he wanted, he spent his money and, and got that thing that he wanted. Um, and in the end, the end result of every path that we're on, he said, is meaningless. It's vapor. Uh, when, when we grow up and uh, when we uh, get older and at the end of our lives, all of those pursuits are just missed. You know, they, they burn away. And, um, but there, but uh, this, Solomon uh, ends his book with a really powerful statement about, okay, well, if all of these things are mist and vapor, then, then, then what is lasting? And then what, how should we live? And so that's where I'm going today um, in Ecclesiastes. And hopefully, uh, you can go to the next slide. Hopefully, um, today your eyes will look to Jesus for meaning and pleasure. Your, your fleshly desires will find true satisfaction in God and your pride won't be in yourself, who is here today and gone tomorrow, but in the Creator, the one who created you, who is eternal. Um, and there's three steps to get there, okay? So first, I want to go back to the very beginning and where we got this idea to satisfy our eyes, our stomachs, and our pride. Where did it all start? And second, I want to talk about what is true about these passions. Where will they get us? And then lastly, what is the solution? What does the writer of Ecclesiastes end his book with? Um, so, to start out, I am a teacher, so I have to, we have to get down some vocabulary. Um, so I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go to 1 John 2, 14 to 17. I'm going to read this, pa this passage, and I'm going to unpack what is the desire of the flesh, what is the desire of the eyes, and what is the pride of life. And then we'll dive into those goals. Okay, so 1 John 2, 14 to 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. There we go. Awesome. The um, if anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away. We know that. Along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Okay, so, I mean, obviously we do love the world. God loved the world. He died for the world. Um, but we don't love the things that the world loves. That's, that's the point. Um, so vocabulary, desire of the flesh. 
Uh, what is that all about? That breaks down into your, the carnal desires, the animal instinct to listen to whatever your body desires at all times and don't say no to any of that. That's like the end result of it. And I got to tell you, I'm on that path too. Uh, we're all at some degree on that path towards satisfying whatever a body says. Um, so especially when it comes to my time, my body does not want to give up my time and I want to be serving that body with, with what I want. And if somebody's going to take up my time, it, my flesh just fights it. Uh, I don't naturally want to serve somebody else. I want to serve myself at all times. Um, now, moving into the desire of the eyes. So your eyes are a well, just so you know, you can never fill it. Scripture promises that. You will never fill that well. Uh, but we try to, no matter what you see. We try to. Everything in this world, all sights, whatever it is, we seek to fill our eyes with things. And our eyes, again, they're insatiable. You'll never fill it. Whatever your body's saying, look at this, it will never fill that well or satisfy it. So in my life, um, I look at um, this thing called Facebook and news sources like CNN and ESPN. I get home from work and I dive into that and that's, those, are, those are good things, right? Um, but I seek to fill, I just, I feel it. Like I feel like this little bit of a connection to where I'm filling a desire of my eyes through these things. And to a certain, a certain extent, that's just fine. I mean, you can, you can definitely do that, but it, there comes a point where um, you really shouldn't satisfy those desires at, at all the times that you are, and you really should put other priorities in there. Um, the other part of it is the pride of life. This is a big one for me. And the pride of life is a continual search for meaning and pleasure in yourself. Self-puffing, self-ballooning, self-seeking, self-promoting, self-indulging, self-focused, self-believing, self-sufficient, a lot of self in that. Um, we are in a continual search to find meaning in ourselves, my, and I'm included in that. I indulge in myself all the time. Um, so when I, when I run, I run every single day. I have 30 minutes to myself running through the woods on trails, and a, a lot of times I want to thank God in that time, and I want to pray for people during that time, but probably for a majority of my runs every day, I don't meet that goal. I just start thinking about myself all the time. Um, and I start, start thinking about how fast I am and, and how, how I just dodge that route and it, just puff myself up all the time. <laughs> so it's hard. It's hard. Um, yeah, that's an easy one to struggle with. So getting back to the outcome of, of the sermon. So I'm hoping at the very end, we'll see the secret to having our eyes on Jesus, having our fleshly desires satisfied in God, and having our pride in God, not ourselves. So a review of those three steps, we're going to go into step one. How do we get here? How do we get to a place where we have these three things? When did it all start? And it's amazing. Um, it actually started way back in the first, the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. Um, if you want to see where did the problems of this world start, go back to that book in the beginnings. And you'd be surprised it wasn't a simple picking of the apple and eating it that was the problem. There was a whole lot more going on that I want to dive into and unpack. So um, here's Genesis, and I want you to keep those three things, fleshly desires, eyes, and pride in your mind as I read this passage. And I'm going to point out um, 
where those things come up uh, before Adam and Eve even eat the apple or fruit or whatever it was. Bacon, could be that. All right. So Genesis 3, 1 to 8. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her like a bump on a log and he ate. Then the eyes of of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Um, so did you catch the pride of life in that passage? What inside of them um, would reflect that they are, they are about themselves and they're, they want to build up who they are? Um, so let's look at the pride of life examples here. Um, in 3.5 it says, For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Isn't that our desire? We want to be a god. We want to be gods at the end result of our pride. And the tree was desired to make one wise. We want to to self-puff. They wanted to self-puff to the point where they would step outside of the boundaries God had for them. Um, And they were his wonderful and good creation. And they were, you know, they they were made good, right? And God, God called them good, but that wasn't good enough for them. They were so puffed up, they would be gods themselves. What about desires of the flesh? To satisfy our stomachs, whatever our body is saying. So when, when, the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, her body said, get that fruit. I want to satisfy my stomach. I don't care what God said. She saw something good for the flesh. It didn't matter that God said, you're going to die when you eat it. It doesn't matter um, that the uh, news sources say that um, drunk driving kills, you're going to get drunk. It doesn't matter uh, what the facts are, you're going to do it anyway, right? I'm going to do it anyway. I'm not going to de- deny myself anything, right? And that's, that's what they did here. This is, where, this is the source. This is where it started, this thinking of if, I, if I, my body wants it, I'm going to satisfy that. I don't care the consequences. What about the desire of the eyes? This one came up a lot. Um, It was the delight to the eyes. That fruit, I mean, I don't know if we have it in our world today, but that fruit looked amazing. Why God didn't have that fruit be full of worms and look nasty, you know, I don't know. But it looked real good. And Eve and Adam were trying to satisfy um, that well in their eyes that can't be filled. They were looking to fill it. And their eyes were, was what drew them into that fruit. Um, and what we do, uh, we don't care about consequences. We're going to look at that image. We want the image. We crave the image. And that image is going to get our worship and our adoration. And we'll make it ours. 
Isn't that kind of the track that we're on? At any, any different stage, you know, we're somewhere there when we're giving our eyes on, on objects and we're desiring them and, and it, it's taking over our lives and we're distracted by them. We're, we're somewhere along that track. At one point, you take it and break the law and you end up in jail, but we're all, we're all on there. We're all there at one point. Okay, so this has been the beginning of the desires of the flesh, eyes, and pride of life. That's where it started. So it's important to know that. It's been a common theme in humanity since Adam and Eve. Um, nobody has escaped it. We all have these desires. They were actually built in us, but they were for something very different. Um, but let's look at the truth of these passions, the eyes, flesh, and pride. Let's see what's true about that. We're going to look at the... the uh, the man who wrote Ecclesiastes, who had unlimited resources, um, who had everything at his fingertips, and who was like top dog in being able to satisfy these desires. We, we are a little bit limited in our, in our world. We can't really have everything we want. Uh, we try, but here's somebody who could have everything that he wanted. And we're going to look at everything that he got. Yeah, and then we're going to look at what he said about it. At the very end, when he had it all, what was his response? And this is the truth about the end result of these desires in us. So Ecclesiastes 2, 1 to 11, and this is the New Living Translation. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine and while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness that most people find in their, in their brief life in this world. I also tried to find my meaning by building huge homes for myself, by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water, to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my own household. I owned large herds of cows, Vermont cows, no, um, and flocks, more than any other kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. It's true. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. He was top dog. Anything I wanted, I would take. I've denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Maybe that wasn't the response we thought. Maybe in our minds we think, okay, if I could just have that job and work hard, or if I could just have a bigger home, or plant beautiful fruit trees in my garden, um, if I could just have the best garden in Vermont, I, I'd, I'd be there. Just a little more syrup trees, you know, maple trees, get some more syrup. Then I could hold on to it, right? But it's like chasing the wind. It's not worthwhile. It's not to say that hard work and things are all meaningless and we should just sit 
in this church and do nothing, um, that would be pretty boring. Um, but there's a, there's a point to it, and we'll get there. Um, so, to review, he had everything a man could desire. He had laughter, wine, foolishness, large house, large garden, fruit trees. He was ruling over people. He had slaves. He had possessions, silver and gold, music, women. He was becoming the greatest in all the land. And he said, anything I wanted, I would take. Um, for some people, that would be the Cubs or the Indians winning the World Series. I don't know. Maybe that's everything a man could desire. But um, he said, I denied myself no pleasure. Now, my question is, is this the end result of Adam and Eve's original sin? Is this like them maxed out? I think so. But keep in mind, we're all at various stages of these sins. So, what did a man with the, uh, basically a genie granting him any wish that he wanted, what did he decide about everything? Remember, he said, this is the best that you can hope for. If you're on that path, as I looked at everything, I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So, uh, that's, that's a tough place to be at the end of your life. And uh, we don't want to be there at any stage in our lives to say that everything I've done is meaningless. It's all going to go away. He also writes that, uh, that after we die, we're going to be forgotten. This is, this is happy. You know, within one generation, nobody's going to remember our lives. Everybody's going to forget what we did. It, that, that's pretty much true. Um, and that's tough. Uh, but there's, there's still a, there's an answer to that. So, uh, it is countercultural. The answer is countercultural. Our culture, with their advertisements on Wheaties boxes and their little awesome little advertisements about their TV show that will bring joy to your whole family and you'll all pull together and you'll be so happy if you watch their show. Um, these promises are ultimately empty. I mean, the, the happiness is temporal. Maybe you'll be happy for a night, but these, this happiness is fleeting. So, We've looked at uh, what is true about these passions. We found out, uh, sorry, where they came from, what is true about them, and now we're going to get into the point of everything. All right, what is the solution? So we, we, know that, uh, we know that these things at the end result will bring us meaninglessness and it's a vapor. So what do we do? At the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, the guy that we just read about, he shares a bit of wisdom that I want to share with you today, but there are some huge red flags in it, and there, there are huge misconceptions. So bear with me when you see a couple of words, fear and commandments, um, because I, I really need to clear up some misconceptions that our culture has about these two words. So bear with me. Um, this is what he said in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. I think we're there. Yeah. Um, the end of the matter, all has been heard. He's done talking. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Okay, let me unpack fear first. This might be new to you, but the kind of fear we're having of God is not meaning to be afraid. And let me prove that to you. Because a lot of people see a God of thunderbolts and somebody that we should be quaking in our boots and we should be terrified of him every, every second, and he'll just, if you do something wrong, he's going to snap his fingers and we'll disappear and smoke. That's, that's, a, vision, that's a common uh, thought that most people have about who God is and what he'd wish us to think about him. But let me prove it's different. 
So here are some examples. I have three, and there are other examples I could have provided. First example is Luke 2, 9 to 10. When Jesus was born, the shepherds were uh, going out to um, find the baby Jesus that was, that, uh, and, they were, and they were on their journey, and suddenly an angel appeared to them. It actually says the angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So there was, you know, a lot of light, a lot of craziness. And it says the shepherds who sought the baby Jesus saw an angel of the Lord, and they were filled. Actually, it says uh, they were filled with great fear is the quote. So that's, the, that's, how, they were, that's how they responded. Matthew 28, 1 to 5. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, um, are seeking Jesus' body in the tomb. And uh, there was a great earthquake. The angel of the Lord descended from heaven. Uh, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And the guards around them actually trembled and became like dead men. They were so scared. These tough guards. Third example, John. Uh, John was taken in a vision to heaven where he saw Jesus and he fell at his feet as though dead because Jesus in, in heaven was clothed with a long robe, golden sash around his chest. His eyes were like flames of fire. His voice was like the roar of many waters. That would be a little terrifying. But here's the response to each of these characters, the angels and Jesus. This is important. This is a common theme. When people are terrified, when we meet Jesus and we're terrified of him, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, for unto you is born this day Christ the Lord. That's what the shepherds were told. Fear not. What was Mary, and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James told? Do not be afraid. I, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. Don't be af- I know you're seeking Jesus. Don't be afraid. What about uh, John when he was in heaven and he was so terrified he fell down as though dead? He laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So, uh, these things are terrifying. The angels are terrifying. Jesus is terrifying. Right? Just by, by their looks and their power on this earth, they have, we have, you know, they're terrifying to the average person. Um, but their response is always going to be to us who know Jesus, do not be afraid. Okay? They didn't say to the guards who fell, at, who fell down um, as though dead at the tomb. They didn't say to the guards, don't be afraid. They said to Mary and Mary, don't be afraid. If we have Jesus, if we have put our faith in him, he calls us sons and daughters. He is a good father who loves us with so much passion that we have no reason to quake and to be afraid of his punishment. In fact, I'm going to go into another reference where um, if we have this quaking fear, it means our love is incomplete, that we truly don't understand how much God loves us. So let's look at 1 John 4, verses 14 to 20. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in God, in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. By this we know that love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence before, confidence for the day of judgment, because he is also, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in, lo- in love. We love because he first loved us. So that's the joy of, of knowing God is we do not fear him anymore. We have no reason to fear him. Fear has to do with the lightning bolt coming down and punishing you. Jesus took that lightning bolt on the cross. We don't take that lightning bolt. We have no reason to fear God, who is terrifying, we can't get around that. He created everything that you see. Um, his voice is like the voice of r- many rushing waters. Um, even if we get mic'd up and crank this all the way up, maybe we could simulate that a little bit. We'd blow the speakers probably. Um, okay, so because we believe in Jesus, we're not afraid of him. He loves us more than anyone in the universe times 10,000. Okay, moving into the end here. I want to unpack um, what it means to... Hang on one second. Oh, I want to make this last point. I want to make one point about fear and what, what he's really talking about there. Um, that fear is a reverence and a respect. If he says that Uh, It will not go well with you if you steal. We respect his word and we say, yeah, you know, know, I'm not going to steal. So we take his word seriously. um, And when we pray, we don't pray flippantly when we come to pray with him, pray to him. And we we respect his name in all of our lives. Uh, Whether we are eating or drinking, we do everything in reverence to God. So everything we do should be out of reverence to him, out of respect to him not quaking fear. And we do that because he loves us. Okay. Moving into the commandments one. This one can get a bad rep too. Is life just a whole bunch of rules uh, that we have to follow and no fun? So, um, getting back to that verse, the end of the matter has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. So we have the fear God taken care of. Um, keeping his commandments. Let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> uh, is our life full of rules? Do they choke us out? Do we keep these rules so that God's suddenly going to like us? Um, and if we were to have a summary statement about what these rules were that make them sound a little better than, uh, than something that would choke us out, I think Jesus said it best. Uh, when asked what the greatest of all commandments or even, what a, even, even talking about a summary of all the rules in the Bible. What should they accomplish in our lives? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's not so bad. And love your, love your neighbor as yourself. That also isn't so bad. So, when our eyes are telling us to soak in this sin, 
Fill it up. Satisfy my eyes. And that apple is too pleasing to turn down in your life. We put our eyes on Jesus in reverence to him and we say, you're going to satisfy my eyes. You have given me enough. I don't need to step out of your bounds. When our flesh says we must be satisfied by this sin, whatever it is, we deserve to eat this good apple. We say that God is the one who satisfies us in our lives. And when our pride creeps in and tells us to lift ourselves up, glorify ourselves, we say that no one deserves praise but God alone. In doing so, we will love God and revere Him, and we will love our neighbors as ourselves. So today, I hope you come away with your eyes looking to Jesus for meaning and pleasure, your fleshly desires finding true satisfaction in God, and your pride not in yourself, who is here today and gone tomorrow, but in the Creator, the one who created you, who is eternal. Thanks.